you know, today I have the chance. But preparing for the sermon this week, I, I got to admit, it's really stressful. Because, I mean, you look at this passage. I mean, Paul is not just communicating knowledge. Okay, this is some theology about God that you must know. And then, okay, I can, I can prepare that, I can break it down, I can say, okay, what Paul is saying is this, 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 you've got to know this. But he's doing more than that. He's saying, you've got to know this, and you've got to want this, and you've got to desire this, and you've got to feel this. And I'm thinking, how am I going to do justice to this passage such that, such that I and you will want this, we, we will truly desire this? And then I realize I can't. I, I, have, I have no power within me. There's, there's no illustration I can use. There's no you know, story I can tell that can make you want this for yourself. So we might as well just stop here, right? No, no, no. I had to relax and see that I needed God to work this in me and you need God to work this in you. That we, we, don't look at me, okay? Don't sit here waiting for, okay, okay, I'm I'm waiting for why, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to let him, um, you know, make this passage come alive to my heart. I'm going to, I'm going to wait for him to, to, no, don't, do not do that. I will fail you. We need to look to God. We need to be praying as, as, as you are hearing this, as you are reading this, Please be praying. Pray, O God, open my heart to this truth. Conform my mind and my life to what what Paul is saying here. And just pray that over and over again. Praying, looking to God, because it's only Him by His Spirit that any of this will amount to anything. And so we, we, we see here in this passage, Paul giving his personal testimony. I mean, he's sharing intimately what's going on in his heart. I mean, he's sharing intimate details of of what he's thinking, what he's feeling, what he truly desires. And the question is, why? Why is he doing this? Well, if you just flip a page back to chapter 1, where you see... Uh, at the end of chapter 1, Paul wrestling, you know, should I die or should I stay alive, you know, oh, to die is better or I can be with Christ. But then he chooses, he chooses to stay alive. For what reason? Verse 24. It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Okay, so Paul weighs up two things, to die or to remain. Now, to die is better, but he chooses to remain. Why? He says it's because of them, for the Philippians, for their progress and joy in the faith. Okay, okay, okay. To die is better for myself. I will gain Christ, but I will remain for your progress, for your joy in the faith. Now, he remains so that he can do this for the Philippians. Now, how does he try to do this for the Philippians? 
we are looking at it. It is through the letter written to the Philippians that Paul is seeking their progress, seeking their joy in the faith. You understand? And so, the reason why in chapter 3, Paul pans down and writes and shares his personal testimony is because when we come to chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. So in other words, the way that he's trying to, through the letter of Philippians, work and get them to have progress and joy in the faith is by sharing his example and saying to them, follow my example. In fact, three times in the letter he says, follow my example. And so he gives us his example so that, so that as we see his example and as we hear his command, follow my example, we can make progress. We can make progress and we can have joy in the faith. So let me ask you, do you want progress? Or are you secretly happy with where you are, spiritually speaking? Do you want progress? I mean, don't you want progress? Don't you want to move on? I mean, I'm not just speaking to the young, but also speaking to the young at heart. I mean, even, even at that age, I, I, I pray that no matter what age I get to, I'll always be wanting progress. I'll always be wanting more. And don't you want joy? Not, not joy in you know, wealth and joy in you know, Arsenal winning, that's, so that's not been happening. But you know, joy in the faith. Do you want that? Don't you want progress and don't you want joy? And so Paul is saying, this is my example. By the grace of God, follow my example and you will have progress and you will have joy. Let's ask God to help us as we see and consider Paul's example. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that's before us and we thank you that you have not only given us your word but you've poured out your spirit and we pray, Father, by your spirit, please, each one of us here, at whatever stage we are at, whether we desire progress or not, whether we are happy with where we are at or not, or whether we are finding joy in in our faith or not, Father, I pray that through your word you will speak to each one of us. Father, I pray that you, you truly enable each one of us here to hear your voice in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, Paul in verses 1 to 6 gives the Philippians a command. And he gives them a warning. And the command there is, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, we know what it means to rejoice in things, right? So, like I mentioned just now, we, you, know, you rejoice in your football team winning, or you rejoice in, in doing well for your exam. We know what it means to rejoice in things, but things change, you know, situations change, and, and our feelings go up and down with them. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. The Lord doesn't change. What He's done for us, 
uh, the promises he made to us, all those things don't change. He's constant. And so he calls on the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. He wants them to have such a focus on the Lord Jesus Christ that they find their joy, they are rejoicing in Him and as much as possible in Him alone. And He wants them to have this focus on the Lord Jesus because there are people coming who are trying to take their focus off of Jesus. And so He warns them, in verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now the people that he is referring to here, most likely are the ones that we encountered in our responsive reading, in Acts chapter 15. Now the situation is, when some Jews you know, started to learn about Jesus, and they thought, ah, yeah, yeah, he must be the Messiah. Now some of them felt that if Gentiles, you know, those who are non-Jews, if they wanted to follow Jesus as well, they not only have to believe in Jesus, but they also have to take on the whole Mosaic law. Because God's people have always been the Jews, and so if the Gentiles now want in, if they want in and they want to worship God, yes, they've got to believe in Jesus, but they also have to take on the whole Mosaic law and to symbolize their willingness to take on the law by circumcision. And so they're adding works to Christ. And so Paul is, is deadly against them. And he calls them dogs. Now, some of you are dog lovers. Okay, there, there were no dog lovers in those times. Okay, Dogs were, were, were what Jews called Gentiles. Okay, so the Jews would refer to Gentiles as those dogs. Because dogs would eat anything on the street. So just like Gentiles, I hear they eat anything. They don't follow the law about eating clean food. But Paul reverses this here. And he says, you are the dogs. The Gentiles who by faith are in Christ. No, we are the true circumcision. You are the dogs. And then he says, you are the evildoers. They think that by following the law, by keeping the rules, they are doing good, they are doing things that are right. But by putting this burden on Gentiles by diluting and corrupting the gospel, he calls them evildoers. And they think that their circumcision is such a great thing before God. But he says, you're just mutilators. You're just mutilating the flesh. You're not, what, what you do is not pleasing God at all. And so he says, in contrast, verse 3, it is we who are the circumcision. It is we who, whether we are really circumcised or not, we who believe in Christ, we are the true people of God. We who serve God by Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Because that's what those dogs were doing. They were thinking, ah, but because I, I come under the law, I, I've been circumcised, I follow the law, yes, I have something to bring before God that would make God accept me. But Paul says, no, no, we put no confidence in the flesh, we boast only in Christ. And then Paul says, but if you want to play that game, okay, you want to talk about huh, confidence in the flesh, well, I have more. So he says, verse 5, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. I, I, am, I am a true Jew. I, I wasn't 
a convert in my teenage years. No, I was born in a Jewish family and I was circumcised on the eighth day. I, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was uh, one of the two tribes who remained loyal uh, to the throne of David when the kingdom split. I said, yes, I, I belong to that tribe. In fact, you know, Paul's name before he converted was Saul. Like Saul, who is from the tribe of Benjamin. And then he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, in that time, many of the Jews, because they were scattered into different parts of the world, you know, they were like, <clears throat> you know, what we call bananas, like, you know, they, uh, for Chinese, they're yellow on the outside, but white in the inside. So many of the Jews, because they've been scattered to other parts, even though they are Jewish, They've adopted the culture of, of, their, of their nation and many of them don't even speak Hebrew anymore. But Paul says, no, culturally, you know, uh, you know uh, I, I still speak the language, I am Hebrew of Hebrews. And he says, in regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Now, when we read the Gospels, whenever we see the word Pharisee, we press the red light, boo, you know. But a Pharisee is actually someone who is well-respected and respected because of their meticulous keeping of the law. A Pharisee is uh, literally uh, a separated one. So in regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. And in verse 6, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Now, I, was, I didn't just obey the law. I had a real zeal for God. Such that when, this, when I heard about this group called Christians, and they, they, they worship this crucified Messiah, how dare they blaspheme God. He, he didn't just sit around and say, oh, how are this, this group blaspheming God? He actually did something about it. He actually went and persecuted this group to the extent that he even dragged Christians off to jail and some of them, uh, he even allowed them to be killed. And then he says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. There was no one who could point to Paul and say, yes, this part, aha, you did something wrong. No, no. He didn't say he's perfect because he, he obeyed all the, the sacrificial laws. Whenever he sinned, yes, he would keep the, the sacrificial law. In regard to keeping the law, he was faultless. You want to talk about bragging about what in the flesh I have accomplished you are not in my league, Paul says. You want to brag about works done? Huh? I, 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 he, in that culture, according to the Bible, there was no one better than Paul. Now what, in our day, would be a list similar to Paul's? Because for each person and in each time, there, there's, different, there's a different list, there's a different CV that we will be tempted to show God and say, yes, this is the reason why you should accept me. So these things that Paul listed now in our day doesn't count for anything, unless you are you know, still living in Israel. But for us as Singaporeans here in this time, what, what would be on that list that would tempt you to think, yes, 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 this is something I can bring before God. This is, some, this is the reason why he can accept me. Maybe we belong to a family where every single member of the family is either a pastor or missionary or married to one. Now we, we, we belong to well, that sort of uh, family line. And then maybe at uh, Sunday school, we were 
the student that was always there and we got all the stars for you know, knowing all the books of the Bible. And then when we grew up in the youth group, you, know, you were the youth leader. And then now you, you, you became a deacon and then became an elder. And every year you read through the Bible at least once. And you, 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 you do all these things and you think, yes, because of this list, God will accept me. But then Paul says in verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul is saying, you see that, that CV, that impressive CV, he says, I count it as loss, man. It, now why does he say loss? Well, I mean, you see, I mean, you see what he's doing here, right? He's, he's using an accounting uh, metaphor, you know, the profit, the gains, and then losses. So all the things which at one time was all in his profit column, he now transfers to the loss column. But for the longest time, I couldn't work out why loss. I mean, why doesn't he say it's worthless? Why, why doesn't he say, I give it zero value? Why Loss, because loss, I mean, you know, accountants correct me if I'm wrong, but loss is worse than zero, right? Why does he count them as loss? Why doesn't he just say worthless? Why doesn't he just say zero value? Because all those things that we are tempted to put on our CV before God, those things are not just worthless, but because they give us a sense of superiority. Because they, are, they tempt us with pride. They tempt us to think, yes, these things make me able to stand before God. Because they actually come in the way. They get in the way of making me, allowing me to trust in Christ and in Christ alone. That's why he considers them lost. It actually has a negative effect. Did you understand? Because they get in the way of, of helping me see my, my desperate need to run to Christ and to depend on Him fully. They actually tempt me away from doing that. And so Paul considers them lost. Now let's uh, put, it, put it another way. Okay? Now what Paul describes of himself in verses 4 to 6, you know, when he says, you know, uh, circumcised on the eighth day, trial of Benjamin. Now, before Paul was a Christian, okay, I mean, he took great pride in these things, right? I mean, for him, yes, well, this was what made him stand head and shoulders above everyone else. But then when he became a Christian, verse 7, he says, I consider these things lost. So between Paul becoming non-Christian to him becoming Christian, Paul had to do from verse 6 to verse 7. What Paul had to do was not just repent of his sins. Yes, you know, you have to repent of your sins, all the ways you've rebelled against God, and so you've got to repent of your sins and then come to God. But Paul realized he had to do more than that. Not only did he have to repent of his sins, he also had to repent of his good deeds. He had to repent of everything that was worthwhile in him, that, that, that tempted him to think, I can bring this before God and God will accept me because of this. He had to repent not only of his sins, 
but also to repent of his self-righteousness. To repent of all these things that would, you know, when he was non-Christian, he thought put him in advantage before God. You see, and Paul says, I consider. And in verse 8, I, I consider, which is, which is the word which means ongoing, right? Not just when he became a Christian, but it's an ongoing thing that he has to consider. And the reason for this is because our hearts will default back to works righteousness. And so, you know, imagine, imagine this is a, a switch. This is works righteousness. This is trusting in God by grace. Now, if we don't keep our finger on this switch, pointing to, yes, I'm standing by grace and grace alone, when we take our finger off this switch, it will flip back. Because it's spring-loaded. It will go back to the default setting of trusting in works for our salvation. Now, I mean, I've gone to theological college. Right? I've gone to the best theological college in Asia Pacific. Okay? And, uh, you know, for... Okay, I won't tell you about my grades, but... I mean, I did well. Okay, I did well. But you see, even though I know all these things, and even though I've heard this again and again, you know what happened to me a few weeks ago? I didn't keep my finger on the switch. And it defaulted back to works righteousness. And I didn't even realize it. Because what was happening is I was enjoying a period where you know, I was doing really well in my quiet time. You know, I heard a sermon and, and it really challenged me. And I meditated on a passage and, and I could see spiritually I was doing well. You know, throughout the day I was fighting sin, you know. Okay, oh, oh, no, don't look, don't look, you know. And then keep my heart pure and then keep my thoughts pure, you know. And then on Monday morning, you know, I wake up with Elliot... <clears throat> And then he did something, not maliciously, but he, he damaged something which I treasured. And I, and I got more upset at him than I should have. Okay, because it was something that I treasured, you know, he damaged it, and I was like, ah, oh, you know, why did you do this? And then that totally threw me off. And for the next few days, I, could, I couldn't have a proper quiet time. For the next few days, I was like so discouraged. And then I realized why. Because I had taken my finger off the switch and it had switched. Okay? Flicked back to works righteousness. And I had began to see my, my quiet time, my fighting sin, as meriting something before God. And so on, on Monday morning, when Elliot came and messed it up, I got so upset at him, more upset than I should have. I said, oh, totally messed it up. I was, I was doing so well, and then totally messed it up. And I just went on this downward spiral. Because I was thinking my works merited something before God. And it was only a few days later when I realized I was relating to God based on my works. And so because my quiet time wasn't so good, I was actually running away from Him. I was actually keeping Him at a distance. My friends, if you really know the gospel, when we sin, when we mess up, you don't run away from God, you run to God. It's only those people who think that they are 
relating to God based on works. And so when my works, when I muck up, then I run away from Him. Because I got no works to bring before Him to come into His presence. But no, the Gospel says it is not by works. It is by grace. And so when we muck up and you know the Gospel, then an indication that you know the Gospel, you truly trust in Christ, is that when you muck up, you will run to God and not away from Him. So Paul says, I, I, I not just repent of my sin, I repent of my righteousness as well. In order for God to accept me, I need to completely rely on what Jesus has done and not on anything I have done. Now verses 8-9, to nine, Paul, you know, Increases and he brings it to another gear. And he says, <clears throat> What is more, I consider everything. Not just those things in the list, verses 5 to 6, but now he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Now, what does he mean by everything here? I mean, does, does everything mean everything? Or does everything mean, you know, whatever that could, you know, that I might be tempted to put on my CV, CV before God? Now, the thing is, because anything, even wealth, even our job, even how we raise our kids, I mean, in fact, really, it is anything and everything that any of us could be tempted to put on our CV to present to God and say, yeah, this is why you should accept me. Because actually anything can tempt us to. Paul here means everything. Everything that gets in the way, consider it as lost. Now he doesn't just stop there because he says, for whose sake I have lost all things. See, he says, hey, I'm not just talking. I'm not just sitting here saying it. Oh yes, I consider everything a loss while how spiritual I am. No, no. He says it and he actually means it because for the sake of Christ, he has actually lost all things. And then he says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now, in my third year at Bible College, we had a guest from America. Uh, his name is uh, Wallace, Professor Wallace, and he is the author of what for many Greek students, this thing that we call the Big Green Monster. Okay, it's a Greek textbook, and you could, you could kill a rat with it. So he's the author of that book. I mean, he's this Greek expert. Okay? And he says, now, the translation here, you know, that the NIV has translated as garbage, or you know, maybe your translation rubbish, is actually a poor translation. Okay, now, all the evidence that we have about this Greek word, okay, the proper, the right translation, if I say it, you would, you would go, ah, oh, I can't believe why I said that word in a sermon. So I won't, okay? But it actually refers to animal or even human excrement. 
Okay, and it is it is a vulgar word. So Paul here actually uses a curse word, a vulgar word, an expletive. Now, you know, it's S dot dot dot. Okay, okay, that's the word. That that would be the right translation for our time and day. Okay, but I'll just stick with crap. Okay, so so Paul says all these things. I consider them as crap compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Now, what does he mean here? Okay, okay bear with me. This is a, an illustration I wanted to use for a long time. Okay, imagine there is an alien, and this alien is uh, you know, doing uh, undergraduate studies, and he's doing his final year thesis. And his thesis is on uh, humankind, and particularly how humans think about religion. Okay, so this alien travels to Earth, and he wants to do research for his thesis. Okay, so he wants to know. Okay, I'll focus on Christians. Okay, and he wants to know what would cause Christians to ease off on Christ. What would cause Christians to maybe deny Christ? And choose something else. Okay, what, what would be enough for them to go, you know, forsake Christ a bit and choose something else? And so this alien, he's a bit, he's not the sharpest pencil in the box. Huh? So this alien comes to Botanic Gardens, and this alien sees, oh, okay, I've got, to find, I've got to find out what humans consider as valuable. Then I can see, okay, if this much or this much or this much of this valuable thing, would that, you know, cause the Christian to deny Christ? Okay. So the alien sees humans picking up something and putting it into a bag. Picking up something, putting it into a bag. And they say, ah, that must be something valuable because you know, they're actually bending down, picking it up, putting it in a bag. And what the, hu- what the alien sees is actually people walking their dog. And then when the dog does a poo-poo, they will, the, the, the human picks it up and puts it into the bag. So the alien goes, ah, that must be something that's valuable. Okay? So the alien collects a whole bag full of dog crap, okay, and comes to you and says, okay, I'm going to offer you this valuable thing in this bag, okay, but you must deny Christ or you must, you must stop following Christ so seriously. And he opens the bag and you, sme- you see and you smell a whole bag of dog crap. That's what Paul is saying. Anything that would cause me, that would tempt me, that would hinder me from gaining Christ, from pursuing Christ, treat it, see it, consider it as dog crap. Because there's nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Everything that gets in the way, consider it as crap. There's nothing better than Christ. There's nothing more valuable than Christ. And Paul goes on, he says, the reason why I want to gain Christ, the reason why I want to know Christ, he says, verse 9 and 10, I want to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is true faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. See, the reason why Christ is so worthwhile is because knowing Him, gaining Him, being found in Him, I get a righteousness from God. And there's nothing that compares with that. 
Now you say the word righteousness and I wonder what you think. In fact, every one of us here, and in fact every one of your colleagues, family members, all of us were actually working for righteousness. Okay, we're, actually, we're actually very concerned about righteousness, even though you may not hear your you know, non-Christian colleagues ever use that word. Okay, because let me ask you, what is in common between you know, like Gloria going for a music audition you know, so that she can get into this music school? A really, really important audition. Or for someone else, you know, going for an interview for this job that you desperately need, desperately want to get. Or for our, you know, A-level students now taking, taking the exam, A-level exams. Or for, you know, some of you, you know, maybe Richmond, uh, meeting this person on eHarmony and going on the date. And then, you know, really liking the person. You know what eHarmony is, right? There's this dating website. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Hey, but, you know, you're going, going on a date... Going on a date with someone that you, you really like and you really think, you know, she's the one. What do you have in common? What, what do these four things have in common? It's all looking for righteousness. That's like the audition. You're going there and you're hoping to play your best so that the music school can see your righteousness, can see that, ah, you have enough rightness with us and we'll let you in. You can come into the school. Taking the exam. Right? You want to make sure that you chalk up, you score enough righteousness so that the university that you want to go to sees, ah, you have enough rightness. We can let you in. Same for the job interview, same for the blind date. The, 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 the person sees, yes. You know, you have enough righteousness. Yes, we can take this further. Everyone is looking for righteousness. But Paul is saying, yes, all these things are important, but, but to be accepted by a music school, to be accepted by a university, that's nothing compared to be accepted by God. That if, that if we are created by God, it is God who has made us and it is God who is the source of life and joy and, and peace and love and hope. Then, to truly have life, to truly have joy and love and hope and peace is to know Him. We need to be accepted by Him. We need to have a righteousness that would allow us to be accepted by God. And so Paul says, through the law, I cannot get this righteousness because the only righteousness that would be enough for God is a 100% righteousness. Every single thing, every single moment, perfect. But Paul says, this righteousness I have found in Christ because I am found in Him. What does it mean for Paul to say, I'm found in Him? So when God looks at Paul, now where's Paul? Paul, 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 where are you? Ah, Paul, he's there. He's in Christ. And so when God looks at Paul, he sees Paul through the righteousness of Christ. Because through knowing Christ, through gaining Christ, this is what Paul has attained. 
an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is not his own, but that is from Christ, and Christ now gives to Paul, and now covers Paul, so that when God looks at Paul, God sees the righteousness of Christ, and God can say, come, I approve of you, come in, come in, we can have a relationship. So as we come to verse 10 and 11, The question in the outline is, what do you want? Well, Paul tells us what he wants. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul wants to know Christ. Now, this makes sense, right? I mean, does it make sense that, that, that he should say this and he should desire this at this point? I mean, think, think, of, think of the situation about this. Uh, on, on Thursday this week, I met uh, an Indian uh, professor who is from the Brahmin class, so which is the highest class in Indian society. Now, let's say he meets this nice Indian girl. And then, you know, things move on smoothly and he really wants to marry her. But then he finds out that she's actually from the lower caste, lower class. And he knows that if he tells his parents, you know, mommy, daddy, the, the, the girl I'm marrying, she's not Brahmin class. She's from this class. He knows that they will completely reject him, he will have no share in the family fortune, he will be, he will be disowned, he will lose everything. But because he, he truly loves this girl, what he does is he will, he will consider the family name, he will consider the family inheritance as crap in order that he may gain this girl. And so let's say he does that. You know, he gets disowned, is, is, is tearful, and then his heart aches, but he considers all of that crap in order that he may gain this girl. But after gaining this girl, does he just go, okay, you know, you, you sit this side, I'll sit this side, and... No, he'll get to know her. He, his, his heart's desire will get to know her more. His heart's desire will, get into, will want to get into a deeper and deeper relationship with her because he has given up everything. Consider them all as crap in order to gain her, in order to have a relationship with her. And so Paul says, that's what I've done. Because I've seen and perceived the surpassing worth of Christ. I've, I've, I've considered everything as crap so that nothing can hinder me in order to gain him. And now that I've gained him, now that I've begun to know him, I want to know him more. And so Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And that is, that is talking about that same power which raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus was dead and God's power raised him to life again. And Paul says, I want to know that power. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Now, what is, what is Paul saying here? Now, I think 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 8 and 9 come at it in a slightly different way that maybe will help us understand. He says, We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, 
Persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. See, the reason why Paul can go through that suffering is because he has some experience. He is empowered by the power of the resurrection. So they can say, struck down, but not destroyed. You know, crushed, but not, you know, uh, not, what do I say? Uh, Pressed, but not crushed. Because he, even though he goes through all this suffering, he participates in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. That's life because in him is working the power of the resurrection. Now, think of it this way. There's situations in life when because you go through a really difficult thing with someone, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, you get kidnapped in Iraq, okay, and then you spend 18 harrowing months, you know, two of you, you know, under the being kidnapped by, by, by IS. And because you spend that time, because you've, you've, you've gone through that fellowship of suffering with this other person, you know, there's, there's, there's that bond. You, you, you share something with that person that you don't share with anyone else. Paul says, this is how much I want to know Christ. I, I want to know Him. I want to know Him. Well, my goal is to know Him that I would even want to share in His sufferings that I may know Him more. And the reason why Paul can throw himself into situations where he will share in Christ's sufferings is because he's confident of this power of the resurrection that is at work in him because of the Spirit. And then he says, becoming like him in his death. Now, I think this is a reference to chapter 2, verse 8, where it says of Jesus that Jesus became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And so Paul is saying, I want to be obedient all the way. I don't have any limits on how much I obey God, how much I obey Jesus. I'm going to be obedient all the way. I'm going to throw myself in. It's all in for Paul. Because he's convinced that in the future, somehow, some way, in some situation, he will attain to the resurrection. Now, the question I have is, is this what you want? It's a question I ask myself, is, is, you know, this whole week preparing this, meditating on this, is, is this what I really want? But so often, don't you agree that we look around the church and we see people don't come here because this is what they want. People don't really come here because this is who they want. People come here because they, they want what Jesus can give them. We don't really want more of Jesus. We want the gifts of Jesus. We want what Jesus can give us. And so, Paul here is laying out his example and he's saying, you want progress, you want joy in the faith, and follow my example. And, I mean, 
and I've got to stand here and I've got to be honest and I say, this is not what I want. I am nowhere near where Paul is at. So what I want to do is I want to give us time. I want you to spend some time thinking about this passage and, and, and talking to God about it. Okay, will, will, you, will you just do that? Will you just, you know, just think about what Paul has laid out of his example. And, and, and be honest before God about where you are at with respect to Paul's example. I mean, maybe you are at a stage where you, you're not even convinced about the worthlessness of your achievements. But, but tell that to God. You know, I mean, be honest with God. I mean, you, you can't hide anything anyway. But tell God, yes, okay, yes, I'm tempted to think that this, 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 and this merit something before you. And I still do, you know. I, I still think they, they count for something. Maybe, maybe that's where you're at, but please be honest with God about that. Talk to Him about that. And if you see, yes, this is not where you should be, then ask Him. Yes, help me to see that these things that I place my confidence in is confidence in the flesh and I should consider them as loss and not as gain. But maybe there are some of you who, who, who you know, you know, you know this, you know that you need to come to Christ and come to Christ based on His achievements alone. And you know those other things, yes, they don't, they don't merit anything before God for you. But you know that your heart is still tied, is still enslaved to, to many things that honestly you know hinder you. You know what they are. I know what mine are. So just, just come to God and talk to Him about that and say, Yes, God, these things hinder me. And yes, right now I still feel that pull. Yes, I... I, I I've read about Paul's example here, but I, I don't see how I can give this up. I don't see how I, can, how I can allow these things. How can I count them as dog crap? Just be honest with God about where you are at. Ask Him for His help. That you would really see this as the filth and the refuge that it is if it gets in the way of you attaining Christ, gaining Christ, just be honest before God. Just talk to Him. This is, this is between you and God right now. He knows where your heart is at, so there's no use pretending, there's no point pretending. Just tell Him, talk to Him where you're at. And, and, and if this passage, any of it, some of it makes sense to you, ask Him, for that help to make progress. That we won't spend our lives running in the wrong direction, but we would. Paul has gone ahead of us. He shows us this is the way for progress. This is the way for joy in the faith. Come, follow me. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that we have Paul's example here for what you have done in his life. Father, help us to see that everything that Paul had, we who are believers in Christ, we have as well. 
that Paul is not some super spiritual person that, 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 that you know, has resources that we don't have. That's why he's so, so spiritual, so good. But everything that he has, we have. He has your word, we have your word. He has your spirit, we have your spirit. And so, Father, give us the desire for progress and for real joy in the faith. That where we are at right now, Father, we will not be satisfied to give us the desire to want to take steps forward by your strength, by your spirit. For your glory we pray. Amen.